Welcome to the In Common Podcast. This is Hatley Post. This Insight episode comes from full episode 68 with Kimberly Peters. Kimberly is a professor of marine governance at the Helmholtz Institute for Functional Marine Biodiversity in Germany, where she works as a human geographer focused on how governance is shaped by spatial processes. In this clip, Kimberly talks with Courtney and Stefan about the need for a separate understanding of ocean geography as compared to land geography, and how that in turn leads to an evolving framework of ocean governance. This is the In Common Podcast. But I'm also interested in this idea of, which we've touched on a few times now, is is space or place or the difference between them. Uh, Also, and this general idea that a lot of concepts that evolved and also governance uh, institutions and the way that we think about governance evolved on land and a lot of those i think are you know because that's where we have knowledge embedded in the past transplanted into the sea which uh, has a different type of materiality uh, i think physically and culturally and i wonder what what is a more nuanced way of looking at space uh, and territory and some of these topics which you you focused on and why is it important to see them differently yeah i mean i think you know again if you're free next week to take one of my lectures that would be awesome um, <laughs> i think yeah i mean I, I i think you've summarized it really nicely which is um you know we have we have taken lots of governance techniques from the land and again like yeah like the history of like the history of the nation state is really interesting to me um because of course, there's nothing natural about nation states at all. You know, like the 1886 scramble for Africa, where basically European, the reason that many African countries have straight borders is because a bunch of guys sat around with a ruler and a map, right? And so I think we've taken those spatial logics of bordering and containing, and we do take them to the sea. But I think, you know, as you've noted, one of the things that I'm really interested in my work is that there are certain there are certain qualities to different kinds of spaces that perhaps demand that we think outside of the box quite literally in terms of how we govern. Because can you, you know, you, you can't build a wall and put a fence up in the ocean, yet we insist on doing so. You know, every time we draw up an MPA, every time we draw up a marine spatial plan, that's what we're doing. You know, we're using this kind of, we're almost locked in or boxed into this kind of very territorial way of thinking and we do so with a variety we do it with the way we carve up airspace we do that vertically as well um you know and we see that in in terms of the ways um that we govern orbits in outer space as well which is really interesting which is kind of i've been writing about outer space recently which is yeah it was kind of cool and um yeah and we we kind of we want to sort of fix in place things because that's how traditionally humans have controlled resources and space. Um, so yeah, I think a lot of my work recently has been trying to sort of to borrow the words from a, a sort of scholar of territory, Stuart Eldon. He kind of says we shouldn't fall into the territorial trap, but rather we should try to think about how we can govern spaces like the sea differently, um, because they are different kinds of territories. Yeah, being at a at an institute focused on marine biodiversity conservation makes me think that a lot of the conservation efforts in the past have been exactly that trying to create 
spaces where certain things happen and other things don't. Well, I'm curious as a follow-up to that is in your work, have you come across alternatives? You know, what are some different ways of, mm. if you don't draw the line, what are some diff- different ways of thinking about it or um, governing spaces without rigid boundaries? Yeah, so I was I was quite, quite fortunate. A couple of years ago, um, I started a project that was called Invisible Infrastructure. And it was this idea that there are, particular infrastructural arrangements that you can draw on the ocean that are that you can't see because they're invisible like you know you want to create a build a road on land you can see it you want to build a road in the ocean you can build one but you can't see it so what's this kind of invisible infrastructure and how does it how does it function and that project was all about um tracing the formation and operation of global ship ship routing schemes so how do we guide global shipping around the world and how does that form and forge the kind of sort of contemporary um sort of landscape of trade as we currently know it and how have we done that historically and how do we do that now and that took me in 2016 2017 to alaska where they are with the opening of the bering strait with ice melt, they are thinking about the development of a ship routing measure because, you know, you don't want to have ships colliding or having accidents in a waterway that has, of course, in the past had terrible marine accidents and wreaked all kinds of um, harm on the marine environment. And one of the most interesting things that they are discussing there is not so Normally, when you put in a ship routing measure anywhere in the world, it's, it's an incredibly static thing. Even though it's about ship routing, things that move, they're very static. Um, there's over 400 of these things called maritime motorways around the world. They just literally split maritime space into two lanes. That ship must go that way. That ship must go that way. That's it. That's how it kind of works. That's what they wanted to do through Bering. And of course, people were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Ice moves. It's not always going to be in the same place. And and also, you know, we've got a really rare form of whale in this water. And, and wow, they move. And so um, you're seeing this kind of development there of what some people would like to see put in place. There is not this very static measure which is used in over 400 waterways around the world. But they want to see what they call a kind of um, a dynamic area. Mm-hmm. So where you might have a measure that's in place for six months of the year and then it moves. And all of these things become much more possible with some of the tech that we have now, because of course, the old traditional map for marine navigation is less important. Now we have e-maps. We can redraw maps much more quickly than we could in the past. So these these ideas of more dynamic zones do exist. And there's a scholar um, in Canada, uh, Sarah Maxwell, who's doing really, really great work um, from a science perspective on building kind of dynamic forms of governance. So can you have a form of governance that rather than boxing it, actually follows a species? So it kind of moves with the thing you're trying to conserve rather than trying to trap the thing into a box that it's never going to stay in. So, yeah, so there, are a few, there are a few examples of this emerging. And it'll be interesting to see if that is a way that, that marine governance goes. Thanks for tuning in. The In Common Podcast is a partner project of the International Association for the Study of the Commons and the International Journal of the Commons. To explore more episodes of the podcast, as well as our blog, visit our website at www.incommonpodcast.org. Here you will also find a list of the members of our recently expanded team, 
as well as a link to our Patreon page where you can make a small donation to help us cover our operating costs. You can also follow us on Twitter at InCommonPod. Thanks again.